Good evening. You're listening to WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. I'm Justine Fisher, and this is WNUR News at 6. Tonight, a look at men's basketball this season, some thoughts on the new Mean Girls movie, and insights into Mickey Mouse's iterations and copyright history. Those stories and more, coming up from Northwestern University, this is WNUR News at 6. Northwestern men's basketball is 9-1 to at home this year. The team's home crowd has been a huge boost to their fortunes, led mostly by students. Brendan Prizeman has more. The Northwestern Wildcats basketball team is looking to make a March Madness run for the second straight year. The team currently has a 13-4 record and holds sole possession of third place in the Big Ten. One of the main causes of all those wins? A spectacular home court advantage. Despite playing in Walsh Ryan Arena, the second smallest arena in the conference, the Wildcats are 9-1 at home, including wins over Purdue, Michigan State, and Maryland. And the bulk of that home crowd is students. I mean, I think that... Northwestern Wildside is the best student section of the Big Ten. I think that we are the loudest. I think that we are the most fierce for the most aggressive student section. And I think that plays a huge part in it. That's Dylan Friedland, social media co-chair of Northwestern Wildside, Northwestern's official student section. He's responsible for coming up with promotions and posting about Northwestern sporting events on social media. His posts are designed to get students to show up and fill Walsh Ryan Arena to the brim. He says there's a few reasons that a packed student section is so key for basketball games. Well, I think students showing up to games is important for a couple of reasons. One, it just makes the games more fun for the students that are showing up. Uh, more full student section means that it's louder, means that a crowd is more engaged, and really just makes it more fun to be at. But at the same point, it also makes it a tougher environment to play in for opposing teams. If you have a large enough student section that's really loud, you're going to be distracting the other team. And at the same time, they're really going to be hyping up our own team. So that whenever the our student section is full and loud and just going crazy that our team always performs better. Veer Patel, Wildside's programming chair, is the point man for much of what regular students see set up at games. This setup includes preparing informational sheets of paper, setting up merch giveaways, and more. On a typical game day, Patel arrives at the arena nearly two hours before tip-off in order to help set things up. Usually for a, we'll just go with the men's basketball game, um, it's usually get there um, about two hours before tip-off um, in, in those first, like, once we get to um, the stadium, the first half an hour is, you know, cutting up those half sheets that you find at your seats, um, working with the off chair to make sure that we have the giveaway itself. It may seem like Patel arrives way too early, but that time is extremely valuable. Gates open 90 minutes before tip-off, and many students go straight for the wild side giveaway after entering. Especially if it's a shirt or other article of clothing, the giveaways increase both attendance and energy. What the giveaways do is they provide um, just another incentive for people to go, but they also help just, you know, get the most excited people there even earlier. Um, so just seeing people in, like, similar shirts, I think it provides just this, like, cool, intimidating atmosphere um, that, you know, there's so many people, like, in the same color, the same, um, you know, general setup, and it makes it seem like a very just cool atmosphere. Aside from the monochrome effect, the early giveaways have another result. As Friedland explains, the early arrival from students also serves to intimidate opponents. You have students that are running in to get that giveaway first, 
which then leads the students really packing that student section early. So what that does then is it leads the student section being full earlier, which can almost create an intimidating environment for the other team just when they're warming up because they see, wow, these fans are really into it. They're really part of this team. They're really engaged. It intimidates them a little bit. That intimidation has contributed to several Northwestern victories, including over then number one Purdue. Patel, who was in the front row for that upset, says the Northwestern players were both aware of and sought to increase the intimidation. Anytime there was a big shot, that entire bench was telling the student section to get loud um, and just telling us to, you know, keep the energy up. And I think that is something special is that they, they know we're there um, and that they have enough wherewithal, enough respect to tell us to get loud. I think that's something that's absolutely awesome. Aside from the obvious, louder the crowd, happier the team, there's another less known aspect of the high support. Because at the same time, the players are students as well. That's what people, I think, forget about a lot. So it's them knowing that their fellow students are there cheering them on as well definitely has to play a role in some sort. Patel also thinks that playing in front of fellow students could increase the team's motivation. When you have the students there, uh, maybe it creates an expectation that there's someone to impress. And not having a student section, I think, just creates a very, if you watch that game, it was extremely quiet. Um, you know, maybe it just doesn't create the atmosphere that there's a game to be played, um, that there's something to play for. That game Patel is referring to was a stunning 75-73 to loss to Chicago State at home. It was just the Wildcats' third loss in Welsh Ryan Arena since last January 19th, and it also came during winter break. Patel absolutely believes the fact that the lone home loss of this season came without students in the stands is no coincidence. And when the students are there and when the stadium is rocking, I don't think, uh, I think the belief is there in everyone that's there between the players, um, the students, and any of the alumni that are there. I think they just instill the belief that we can win. And so um, just having students there means a level of excitement and a level of even nerves. Like some nerves are good nerves, and I think it just builds up into a crescendo that is an, usually a very entertaining, nervous game. Friedland says that enthusiasm and excitement flow both ways. In the past, we've had to be a little bit more creative in how we were going to get the students to show out in some of these games, but this year has been pretty simple. We don't really have to do a ton of marketing in order to get people to come, because we know that people want to be there. We know that people are going to want to come. When an enthusiastic student section combines with a motivated team, the results tend to be exceptional. This was the scene during pregame against Michigan State, an 88-74 win. After the game, the official Twitter, or X, of Northwestern men's basketball thanked the students for, quote, bringing the energy. That energy fed into the team, which then fed right back into the student section. I think it really just helps build up that atmosphere of a, this is a place you want to be, and, that's a, and then it's a place that the opponents don't want to be. Um, you know, just seeing an entire full-up student section on both ends of, uh, of the court, and, you know, every time you go down in either direction, you're going to be staring at a wall of students who are just you know, making noise and making it hard to play and hard to even think at points. There's only seven home games remaining in the year, 
but all seven are expected to be packed to the rafters. If the team is able to win all of them, it will mark Northwestern's best home record since 1983. While the team once again looks to gain a spot in March Madness, the students will continue to do what they've always done. Make Northwestern's opponents take a walk on the wild side. The new Mean Girls movie is out, and this time it's a musical. Max Milo has the story. Fellow reporter Jess and I braved the great outdoors that is downtown Evanston during zero degree weather for a very important goal, watching the new Mean Girls movie. But wait, didn't Mean Girls come out 20 years ago? Yes. Yes, it did. Despite the lack of marketing indicating its melodic nature, Mean Girls 2024 is a musical with essentially the same story as the original film. It's not a remake, it's an adaptation of the Broadway play of the same name, which was adapted from the original movie. Wait, why don't I know you? Mean Girls opened on Broadway in March of 2018, running until March of 2020. A second run was planned for 2021, but was canceled due to the pandemic. The cast has toured in various other locations, but the 2018 to 2020 run remains its only Broadway appearance. The show won multiple awards across different competitions and saw a plethora of Tony Award nominees, including Best Musical and Best Original Score. My name is Regina George And I am a For many, the appeal of the movie lies in the casting choice of Regina. Renee Rapp, who had a role as the replacement for Regina on Broadway and subsequently starred in a number of shows in 2019, reprised this iconic part for the Mean Girls movie. In addition to acting, she also happens to be a popular singer with multiple Billboard charting songs. Other notable cast members include Ali'i Cravalho, the star of the Disney animated movie Moana, as main character Katie's best friend Janice, and Gory Rice of The Nice Guys as Katie herself, and The Summer I Turned Pretty's Christopher Briney. Creator Tina Fey reprises her role as Miss Norbury, and the stacked cast also includes Ashley Park, Jenna Fisher, Tim Meadows, and John Hamm. I, personally, was excited to see where Renee Rapp would take the notorious antagonist. Mother, I would do anything for her, truly. She was my favorite. I was not the only one excited about this casting choice. I think Renee Rapp is exceptional amongst the rest of the cast, for sure. I think Renee Rapp is very talented, so that was enjoyable. After the movie, Jess and I interviewed moviegoers Luis, Gabby, Nicole, and Evelyn. Nicole, Luis, and Gabby seemed to have a consensus about the movie as a whole. I thought it was terrible in the funniest way. Like, I was thoroughly enjoying myself, but it was not a good movie. Um, I thought it was really camp, and I think the movie musical is back in cinema. I personally really enjoyed it as a theater person, but I think if you're not a theater person, you're gonna hate this so bad. On the other side, Evelyn was surprised by how she felt about it. I actually really liked it. I was kind of expecting to kind of get bored through the end of it, because I've seen, obviously, the original film, 
but I felt like this kind of changed the perspective of the story to be from Regina's perspective versus Katie's. So I felt like I really empathized with Regina a lot more in this version. The movie does provide an interesting look at Regina's side of the story. A lot of this perspective is told through song. It is a musical, and some of these songs are excellent. That was a clip from Someone Gets Hurt by Renee Rapp, and it is one of many musical numbers in the movie. I think it's a totally different beast. Like, the movie musical is, is doing a whole separate thing with it. Still good, um, but it's just, they're so different, and you have to have that mindset going into it. We asked how they compare the original with the musical. I liked the original better, but I think it's a pretty good, like, reinterpretation of it. If you're watching this to be nostalgic, you shouldn't be watching it. Um, you should just watch it for, like, the music mm -hmm. and the pretty visuals. I think I laughed more in this one, but obviously the original is better as a movie overall. That is one thing I'll say about the movie. If you are interested in seeing it, a packed theater might be the best place to do so. Even if the movie was cheesy at times, the entire audience was eating it up. Half the comedy of the movie was just hearing the commentary of the people sitting around us. I think like what the um, production team for this movie was working with from the material from the musical, I think they really did a good job. I think you should see it just for the laughs. It was really, I was, we were cracking up the whole time. <laughs> it literally felt like an SNL skit, so. Get in, loser. Regina George is a scum-sucking life burner. Why is he by our table? I can hear you, by the way. Can you hear me now? Go see Mean Girls. It's modern camp, and it's a fun time. For WNR News, I'm Max Milo. Mickey Mouse, Disney's longtime mascot, is one of the most recognizable characters in popular culture. Now, his earliest cartoons, including Steamboat Willie, are in the public domain. What does it mean that their copyrights have expired? Edward Simon Cruz has the story. Just over 95 years ago, Disney introduced the world to Mickey Mouse. We first met Mickey humming this tune at the start of the short film Steamboat Willie. On January 1st, 2024, Steamboat Willie entered the public domain, as did two lesser known films featuring Mickey Mouse. Does this mean Mickey Mouse is in the public domain? When I say Mickey's in the public domain, what I mean is that the copyright has expired over the 1928 films in which Mickey and Minnie first appeared. That's Jennifer Jenkins, clinical professor of law at Duke Law School. Thanks to the most recent American Copyright Extension Act, movies like Steamboat Willie usually have copyright terms of 95 years from their publication dates. The version of Mickey seen in Steamboat Willie is now in the public domain, meaning his likeness can be used without permission from Disney. However, later versions of Mickey Mouse remain copyrighted because Disney had continued modifying his design. Parth Maske, a high school junior from Plainsboro, New Jersey, watched many classic Disney movies as a child. For him, Disney and Mickey Mouse became interconnected. You always see Mickey Mouse at the start of each of the films. In my mind, I just made a connection between Mickey, Disney. Mickey was just the face of Disney for me growing up. Sam Malapati, a high school senior from Hinsdale, Illinois, also associates Disney with Mickey Mouse. This is probably gonna happen eventually anyways, like copyright, like that wouldn't last forever anyways, but it's been prolonged so long that the vision of Mickey Mouse has been stuck in everyone's head for so long that people are even more eager to use it and change it. 
People are already using and changing Mickey Mouse. A Steamboat Willie horror movie is in the works, in the same vein as last year's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And last April, comedian John Oliver announced the Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse would become the mascot of his show last week tonight. Ideas, names, and familiar symbols and designs are not copyrightable. But if a new work is inspired by an older one, its new forms of expression become copyrightable. That's according to Rebecca Tushnet, professor at Harvard Law School. Disney's version of Cinderella adds a bunch of things to the classic fairy tale version. Anybody else can do their own version of Cinderella, but if they use Disney's expression, they basically need a limit or a, a reason in the Copyright Act if they don't do it with permission. I'm at it, Disney, Disney. Some opponents of the Copyright Term Extension Act have nicknamed it the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. Disney wasn't the only group to support the act, but the company became associated with it. You have, at the same time, them being symbolic of the erosion of the public domain and simultaneously symbolic of the value of the public domain. And then the third part of that is Mickey Mouse, the character himself. Mickey Mouse is emblematic of both of those tendencies. Disney will continue to own its multiple trademarks related to Mickey Mouse as long as it continues renewing them. What does this mean for people who want to create their own takes on Steamboat Willie? Trademark is supposed to protect the indication of source rather than creativity. So, you know, if you make your own Steamboat Willie movie and make clear that it's coming from you and not from Disney, uh, you should be okay. Merchandise inspired by Steamboat Willie may not be protected under trademark laws if a consumer feels misled into thinking it was created or sponsored by Disney. But Trademarks cannot block people's freedom of expression, a freedom supported by the expiration of copyrights. Copyright deliberately by design as mandated by the Constitution says that after, quote, limited times, copyrighted works enter the public domain where they can support and nurture and feed the creativity of future authors. And so it's a yin yang between the rights and the public domain, which is part of how the system supports and encourages creativity. Mickey remains a major part of the Disney brand, but in some ways, he now belongs to the public too. For WNUR News, I'm Edward Simon Cruz. For all the concerts you've been meaning to go to this quarter, WNUR has got you covered. Every Friday, Concert Countdown highlights the weekend and following week's upcoming shows happening in the Evanston, Chicago area. We'll also keep you up to date on other major music announcements. I've got today's countdown. Welcome to Concert Countdown, WNUR News' comprehensive guide to upcoming shows in the Evanston and Chicago area. From Evanston Space to the United Center and more, if you're looking to see some live music this weekend, you've come to the right place. Starting off local, Rachel Bayman and a Wes Anderson-inspired jazz composer are performing in Evanston. At Evanston Space tomorrow, you can catch singer-songwriter Rachel Bayman along with Lily May. Bayman is a Chicago-raised artist who describes her work as anti-capitalist folk music. Doors open at 7, and tickets are between $15 and $25. On Monday, Space is offering a truly unique show. Amanda Gardier presents new music inspired by the films of Wes Anderson. This is a part of Space's 
Exploration Programming, which aims to highlight emerging jazz artists. Gardier is a saxophonist, composer, and educator who names Bajork as an influence. Doors are at 6.30 p.m. and tickets range from $15 to $25. Coming up in Chicago, we've narrowed our selection down to performances from Vic Mensa and Travis Scott. Vic Mensa is playing at House of Blues in Chicago tonight at 7 p.m. The Grammy award-winning rapper and Chicago native is playing tracks off of his latest album, Victor. Tickets start at just $27, and you've still got time to get there by seven tonight. The Utopia Tour, presenting Circus Maximus, is finally making its way to Chicago. Travis Scott will be at United Center on Monday, January 22nd. The new album comes five years after Astroworld, which made headlines for the deadly crowd surges that sparked lawsuits. Scott may be looking for redemption now as he follows up to the 2018 tour. GA tickets start at just $55. Next, looking all the way ahead to 2024, the Coachella lineup is out. Headliners for the Indio California Music Festival include Lana Del Rey on Friday, Tyler the Creator on Saturday, and Doja Cat for Sunday. Other major names slotted for the April weekend include Jay Balvin, Ice Spice, and our favorite mean girl, Renee Rapp. That's all we've got for you this week. Tune in next Wednesday to find out about more concerts happening near you. For WNUR News, I'm Justine Fisher. As frostbite takes over Evanston, not even the buses are safe. Learn how to stay warm in the icy cold. Alyssa Rubin has the story. I'm Alyssa Rubin. Welcome back to Fairweather Friends. Each week, we give you a peek into local and national weather. Anyone who's been outside in the past week knows that the cold has been biting. Even the frostbite buses have frozen over. Will next week be just as cold? From Evanston, Illinois, this is Fairweather Friends. Who's the weather? As we enter the last quarter of January, the weather looks to remain cold enough to keep Evanston Uber drivers in business. Last week, we all suffered through negative degree weather, ranging from zero to negative five degrees that felt like negative 30. With winds and snow from north to south campus was borderline dangerous and students were advised not to be outside for more than 10 minutes at a time. Looking ahead, you can expect warmer, although not warm, temperatures fluctuating from four all the way up to 36 degrees Fahrenheit over the next week. Despite occasional rain and sunshine, it's looking pretty cloudy over the next few days. If you're adjusting to the Midwest, here are some tips and tricks to not get frostbite in the extreme cold from NBC Chicago. Firstly, dressing in layers is extremely important. Covering your skin will prevent getting burned from the cold. Secondly, limit your time outdoors. Try and catch the buses as much as you can and don't saunter outside if it's unnecessary. Lastly, be aware of frostbite symptoms. If you have changes in skin color, stinging, burning, swelling, pain, or fever, consult a doctor immediately. Although it's frosty outside, don't let the cold get you down. That's all for this week's edition of Fair Weather Friends. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, stay warm, bundle up, and pray the buses thaw out soon.
In Evanston, Illinois, Alyssa Rubin, WNUR News. Taking a look into the headlines in Evanston, Chicagoland, and across the nation and globe, the Associated Student Government Senate met on Wednesday and passed two new resolutions. The first is a day of remembrance for Northwestern alumni who have served in the military. ASG also approved election commission guidelines ahead of their February election. Chicago's rat hole was restored by locals after it was mysteriously filled in. This morning, social media rumors circulated that there was a plaster-like substance covering the hole on 1900 block of West Roscoe Street. However, Chicagoans rallied to bring the rat hole back to its former glory. Biden avoided a government shutdown today, signing a measure to keep the U.S. government funded. However, the bill left funding for Ukraine frozen. Due to the efforts of far-right House Republicans, led by the Speaker, chances for more aid to Ukraine hinges upon negotiations for immigration reform. The United Nation reports that international tourism will fully recover in 2024. Following the pandemic, international tourism levels are expected to be 2% higher than in 2019, according to the United Nations World Tourism Organization. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on at WNUR News and Instagram at WNUR News 893. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNURnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our producer today is Mika Allison, and our reporters are Brendan Prizman, Max Milo, and Edward Simon Cruz. I'm Justine Fisher. Catch our next newscast Wednesday, January 17th. Now, back to scheduled programming. <laughs>